0: Well, welcome to Black History Matters 365. We are celebrating Black History Month, and we are taking a focus on nonviolence. And we're doing that with Dr. Bernard Lafayette Jr. And we are doing part two. We did part one. This is part two of a focus on nonviolence. Excited to have him in the studio and going to talk with us today about understanding Nonviolence and what it really is. Now, a little bit of note about Dr. Lafayette Jr. is that he has written a book that I think everybody should get. It's called In Peace and Freedom, My Journey in Selma. I'm excited about that. And I think he's going to give us some examples today, too, um, that I know that's in this book. So we want to make sure we pick that up and um, I will give some more information on that later on um, in part four. But today we are part two of a focus on nonviolence with Dr. Bernard Lafayette Jr. How are you today, sir? <laughs>
1: fine. Thank you for asking.
0: Yes. Yes, it's good to have you again. And we're focusing on this nonviolence. So the question is today is how do our understanding what nonviolence really is. So we're gonna turn it over to you to give us an understanding.
1: The best way to understand nonviolence is to uh, impact, uh, unpack rather, the uh, concept of, of love in action. It's important to understand that in addition to being philosophical, uh, nonviolence is very practical. Like one of the things that happened when we got involved in the nonviolence in Nashville, Tennessee, it was James Lawson Jr. who gave us the training and he had experiences, he'd gone to India, and he had experience with uh, nonviolence, and he was absolutely convinced of uh, the fact that training was necessary. Mm. So understanding nonviolence uh, cannot be um, appreciated without practicing it. So it's not just simply for intellectual discussion, and concepts and theories to really be able to appreciate it it has to be put into practice. So um, I'll give you an example of uh, what we did in the uh, Nashville movement. After we got our training, one of the things we did was to go down uh, to, the lunch counters and to sit in. We actually had sit-ins in Nashville uh, in 59 while we were doing our training. We were not protesting when we sat in at the lunch counters. We were testing. In other words, we wanted to see what the reaction would be and uh, once we saw how they behaved towards us and called us names and pushed us off the stools and uh, slapped us and spat on us and all that we came back to our church where we were doing our training and we did what you call role play social drama we actually reenact okay uh the very thing that we had experienced and by doing that we can we didn't have any surprises because we already knew that's part of learning in nonviolence you never stop learning okay and gathering information so uh, we pushed each other off the stools. We didn't spit on each other, but, you know, we slapped each other and hit each other. And I was actually when I, only when I got into graduate school that I really came to fully appreciate why we did the social drama, okay, and why we actually experienced that kind of uh, you know uh, uh, behavior, it was like boot camp. That's why the military they in the military they sent people to boot camp first, so they get used to hearing bombs go off and bullets flying and all that kind of things, etc. So they rehearse, it's like a play. You rehearse what you uh expect them to experience and the purpose of it is to be able to control your emotions mm. a lot of people have good intentions and they go and they, and then they say i lost it well when you lose it that means that you lost you didn't win First of all, you've got to win yourself before you can win, okay, over others. Okay? Well, this is not just blowing in the wind. This is actually winning yourself and having emotional control so that you become adapted to the consequences and that way you can then continue to exercise nonviolence because if you can't win yourself how are you going to win others so it means that training practice boot camp whatever is is necessary Martin Luther King, for example, drew from all sources. He is what you call eclectic. Eclectic. Many different sources. You're bringing the best out of, okay, other situations. Like some people don't know, and it's uh, okay because you don't have to know everything. But what I did during the Selma March, I went to Chicago. Yeah, I started the Selma movement, but I then went to Chicago. And guess what I was doing in Chicago? I was training gang members in nonviolence because I knew that Martin Luther King was gonna be coming to Chicago these things are gonna move north. One of the places was uh, the north was the Chicago. There was no coincidence because I got Chicago ready, just like I got Selma ready. Okay, I'm old enough now. I don't mind sharing that with people. Okay, what really happened? But I wanted to get my work done. I didn't want the media to be bothering me. So I was very quiet. Okay, once in a while there's some articles in the newspaper like in Selma Newspaper, other places. But uh, the marshals on the Selma March were, many of them were gang members from Chicago vice lords. Yes, a lot of historians don't know that either, okay? because that wasn't important that that be publicized. But they were marshals. I had them in boot camp I trained them in Chicago, but then they got their experience on the Selma March. And gang members would have made the best marshals because some of them already had their teeth knocked out. and They had bricks that had been hit in the head and all that. So they were used to, okay. Yeah. Violent attacks. There wasn't anything new to them. All right. And most of them had gone to jail already, so. They got arrested. That wouldn't be anything new. Now, you may uh, have seen one of the uh, vice lords that didn't recognize, but in some of the museums, like in Washington, and you know, like in uh, Memphis and other places, there's a photograph of a black fella holding a, a American flag. And he has a tam on and it's backwards. Okay? You know who he is? He's the head of the vice lords from Chicago. And his name is Lamar McCoy. Yeah, now you know. Okay? He was the head of the gang, the vice lords. And vice lords was, okay, Assistant to the Lord. Did you know that? That's what the vice lords were. Vice. Okay. They weren't talking about the, uh, you know, uh, criminal kind of activity. They were talking about vice, the assistance to the Lord. Yeah. Okay. So the point I'm making is that since we were going to be having a movement in Chicago, I didn't want the gang members to be doing their regular thing. I want to give them a specific role. And they're the ones who were the marshals in the Chicago marches as well. Yes, they were. So my point is, um, they had the experience of having been on a nonviolent march already in South Alabama. So when the marches start in Chicago, they were ready because so they already had the experience boot camp. So that's the point I wanna make in terms of the training. Don't underestimate the training because it helps to control the emotions And it also helps you to be prepared to do that, all right? Now, in mobilizing, and I'll uh, venture off to say this, I learned that from my grandmother. And I'm gonna say it, and that is that women are some of your best organizers. Yes. It's no coincidence that SNCC was formed, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. That was Ella Baker, who worked for Martin Luther King. He's the one that told her, okay, organize these youth groups. And these were college student leaders from various colleges all over the South, but even from the North. And that's why the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee was founded, had his first meeting in Raleigh, North Carolina at Shaw University because that's where Ella Baker graduated. Yeah, but she had an alma mater, okay? That's why we were there. And these were leaders. No question about the impact of, of the training. And that's what SNCC was all about. Marion Barry, first mayor of Washington, black mayor of Washington, D.C. Yeah, no coincidence. No. Mm -mm. John Lewis, he was the, uh, you know, one of the uh, head chairman of SNCC coming coming out of, uh, you know, Nashville movement. It's no uh, coincidence. Jim Bevel, Okay. I kind of think, you know, that's, you had a lot of people on Martin Luther King's staff uh, who have been trained. You know, Jim Al Hallbrook, Diane Nash. Diane Nash was our spokesperson for the sit ins and the Freedom Rides. Yeah. Okay. Selma, Alabama, you had Mrs. Boynton, you had Ella Baker, as I mentioned. You had uh, Rosa Parks down in uh, Montgomery. That's no coincidence. And the reason why women were very essential in terms of uh, the marches and demonstrations and organizing was because women have more nodules on their brain. Yes. And by that, I mean they're multitasked. So women can do several things at one time. I have five sisters to carry on, you know, three conversations together at the same time. I have to say, wait a minute, hold it. I, I can't <laughs> listen over here and over there. Right. And I understand why they understand each other. It's not important just to understand what they're doing, but understand why and how. You know how women carry on those conversations at the same time? You're aware of that, right? They carry yes. on conversations. Yes, you at know the why?
0: same time.
1: <laughs> and, and you know why?
0: Why? Because they repeat themselves. So if
1: you repeat yourself, you don't hear it the first time, you hear the Okay. All right. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. (laughs) That's what you got to study. Yeah. So that
0: is, that actually is a a good positive thing. We can use, you used in the marches. (laughs) Absolutely. In the organization. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay.
1: And then the other thing is that you've got to be able to, uh, in your organizations, a lot of the reasons why some groups don't accomplish anything is because there's so much conflict among the leadership in the organization. So you got to pay attention to that and then work on it. Like one of the roles I played in the Nashville Student Movement, we had what we call a central committee. These were student leaders from all the different colleges that participated in sittings, Tennessee State, Mihari, Fisk, American Baptist College, even the white schools, okay? okay. My role was to sit and listen to everything people were saying in the meetings because we made decisions based on uh, consensus. No, we all had to agree, we didn't just vote. We had to agree on Things and men you know, come together. My role was to sit and listen to everything people said, but also to look at them. It is one thing to hear folks, but you don't necessarily understand what they mean when they say certain things. <laughs> Some folks are mean, <laughs> so you you got to know what their intentions were when they respond to each other. So my uh, role was to observe and make sure before we left the meeting that there was no hard feelings among any of the individual leaders. You can't go out on a nonviolent demonstration and somebody got a thing against you. No, we had to be together, all right? So we didn't leave the meeting until I said, now, "How did? What did you think about what that person said to you?" Well, I, well that's my point. Okay, no, that's not what I was saying. I was uh, no, I was no, no. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. We to. We take it that way. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, that's what we did in our meetings, hmm. so that we could make sure that we were together. how are we going to reach out and bring others, okay, into the movement if we were not together with ourselves? So these are little tactics and things that you only get in the training. So leadership in the movement, Black Lives Matter, they are doing tremendous, you know, work. In terms of uh, sharing with each other, et etc, what I want to see now is an international coalition of young leaders mm. identify those other leaders around the world, okay, and have okay, that coalition because we need the change if we're going to survive. We need the change, okay? if we are going to uh, uh, make a difference for our young people coming up. So young folks don't stay young long. And young is relative. And if you're 90 years old, all of y'all are young, okay? Yeah, (laughs) okay. So my point is, uh, yeah, but we got to get that next level of leadership prepared. So they'd be able to carry on and uh, be able to succeed uh, in this thing. So the nonviolent movement is very important when it comes to uh, an appreciation for uh, the training of young
0: people. And that's the thing that uh, we're concerned about. Yeah. Well, that is awesome. So I hear you saying with that and... um that the nonviolent movement is very important to include, to actually to really train the next generation when it comes to that. Correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. So understanding um, nonviolence, here's some things that I hear you saying that are so great. I think we could take in today is that training is important. It's very important to have training or some type of boot camp where it trains you how to react when someone is reacting violent against you. You all role played. I love that. You called it social drama. (laughs) Love, love that. And then you practice that social drama is the practice so that you can eventually know how to mobilize after that. You mentioned mobilizing, how you mobilize from state to state, Selma to Nashville, getting people ready to move forward. So the training, the practice, um, the practice, the social drama, role playing and mobilizing. And then one key thing you said I thought was really good, paying attention to the conflict that's within the organization as you're building this nonviolence movement is very key Because you can't go out and um, do nonviolence when you're against one another. Wow. Really, really good tips. And the one I like the most is women are great organizers. And it's funny you say because we repeat ourselves. (laughs) And that's a good trait when it comes to to nonviolence. And then taking it to the next level with our young people. So important. That's what you would like to see. That's what you all fought for to make sure that it's carried on to the next generation. Some incredible tips on part two of the focusing on nonviolence for Black History Month with Dr. Bernard Lafayette Jr. It's been great today, sir. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us about understanding non-violence. So next time with Dr. Lafayette. I, <laughs> I want to introduce my wife. Right oh, here. your well, wife. I, I okay. okay. Yeah. Hello okay. there. Thank you for joining Hi. us too. It's so I'm beautiful to you see here. you. Yes. with <laughs> what you're doing. Very okay. happy. Yes, Thank, Thank you. Thank you. But, okay. But. Okay. <laughs> Good to see you. Yeah. And you also... Um, make sure you tune in every Saturday for this month. We're going to have this great man and maybe his wife joining one time. She's joining us today um, to talk about non-violence. So make sure you tune in next time for part three with Dr. Lafayette Jr.
1: Thank well, you. Nice. Thank you. All right, All right.